welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. We are uh, continuing, as we said, our series in 1 Thessalonians. Um, I don't know if you are much of a walker or a hiker or um, if you like going out in the countryside. Um, Well, when I worked for a church in London, um, my boss, he was ex-military and he absolutely loved a good hike. And we would go every year out to um, the Black Hills in Wales and he would take us hiking um, as a team, just kind of team building. And it was great fun. Um, He would always attempt to um, get me to read the map or do some of the navigating. And let's just say it wasn't particularly my strong point. Now, one year, he had a baby, and he couldn't make it. But we'd already scheduled this and planned it, so off we went, and I was in charge. Um, And so, it was chaos. Uh, We got completely and utterly lost. Um, We went, I mean, it was just indescribable chaos. It was one of those moments where I thought about the, you know, the importance of good leadership, and um, (laughs) why God says, you know, strike strike the leader and the sheep will scatter. (laughs) What happens when the leader isn't there and you're wandering around Welsh hills amongst the sheep in the rain, completely lost. Um, And what's important when you're on a walk, which this slightly illustrates, is that you know where you're going and you know the direction you're heading. And this morning, um, our passage is a little bit of a map check. It's an encouragement to um, check in for yourself, for your heart, on what direction are you heading And so, um, I've entitled the talk, Walking in the Right Direction, um, and we're just going to jump in and read the passage. And so that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. So, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what's what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in the matters no one should uh, wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Great. Well, I always get the easy ones. Um, So here we go. Um, Now, look, if you're sitting out there in the audience and you're thinking, this is exactly why I don't go to church, okay? Because I just feel like having read this passage, I'm just going to get told off for the next 15 minutes, and um, this is why I stopped coming. I just want to reassure you, that's not the plan, okay? So there are some specific instructions in this passage, but I think there is a bigger message behind it. And what I want to focus on is what is holiness? What's our motivation for holy living? And how can we grow in that? And not necessarily the nitty-gritty of the, instruction, of the instructions in this passage, if that's okay. I apologize if some of you are sitting there now thinking, you're a chicken. Well, maybe I am. Okay, um, so first of all, w- holiness. So in this passage, 
Holiness or sanctification is mentioned three times. And so the first place I want to go is what is holiness, theologically speaking? And so give a bit of a theological framework. And so holiness is talked about in the Bible in three different ways. The first way is positional. So I've also picked three Ps, which is the classic um, preaching alliteration. So here we go. The first one is positional. And what this means is that when we choose to put our faith in Jesus, a transfer happens or something changes within us. Our position changes. The Paul's most common description of a Christian is in Christ. And that's a positional description. We are now in Christ. Another passage says that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness and are now living in the kingdom of light, the king, kingdom of Jesus. And so there is a positional transfer that happens. Now, look, I've got to be honest. I'm not actually a big football fan, but so I'm going to, if, I apologize if I offend anyone with this illustration, but let's imagine for a second Let's use football as an illustration. Let's imagine for a second that Manchester United is the kingdom of darkness. Um, I mean, they are, they are, after all, the red devils, right? Um, and we're in Birmingham, so let's imagine that the kingdom of light is Aston Villa. All right, okay? Um, so <laughs> now, if you were a player for Man United, you would wear their kit, you would go to their trainings, you would do what your manager and your coach and all those people were told told you to do. However, if you were then transferred to Aston Villa, you would change kits, right? So you would no longer wear the Man United kit, you would completely change kits, you'd wear the Aston Villa kit. And also, if you were playing against Man United, if the Man United coach started giving you instructions, you would just ignore him because he no longer has any authority over you, right? because you've been transferred from one team to the other team. And it's kind, of, it's kind of like that with us, that we were playing for what the wrong team. Uh, we were playing for um, what the Bible describes as the enemy. We were, he was our coach, the devil was our coach, and we were playing for his team. Um, and God, when we put our faith in Jesus, transfers us from his team into Jesus' team. And Jesus is now our coach. And now we, can have, we have the right and to completely ignore the devil, which is great. We don't always do it, but we, we have the right and the ability to do it now because we've been transferred. So there is a positional um, holiness. We are holy because we are in Jesus and we have put our faith in him. So that's the first one. And the other good news is that actually that, I believe there's a transfer window in football. It opens and closes. Currently, the transfer window is open. Like between Jesus... Um, until Jesus comes back again, that transfer window is open. So if you're here and maybe you like what you see, maybe you hear something about Jesus, you think, I want in. Well, guess what? There's good news. The transfer window is still open. In fact, you could transfer today if you want, but we'll get to that later. So there's positional holiness. The reality is you are holy whether you like it or not because you are in Christ. The second one is present and progressive holiness. And this is the one that our passage really focuses on. And that is the idea that there is a choice to, to follow Jesus and to live holy lives, to make holy decisions. And that change is progressive. So the first positional change is internal. And the progressive change 
is how we express that externally. And what the journey of sanctification is that we walk out every day is to try and align what we live with the internal reality of who we are positionally. And that's the process of sanctification. That the more we surrender our lives to Jesus, the more we give to his lordship, the more we choose to walk with him, then the more our outward lives look like the reality that has gone on inside us. And finally, there is the, the prospective holiness. And that is that one day, yeah, look, I've got to find an alliteration, Mike, okay? <laughs> it just means future. The future, it's our hope. We're living for a future hope that when Jesus comes back, he will make us holy. God, the scriptures promise that one, God will finish the work that he has started in us. And so he's transformed our, us internally. While we're, while we're waiting for him and living out this life, we're making daily choices um, for our external lives to express the internal reality. But one day he will come again and he will completely purify us and set us apart. And we will be holy. And that is the hope that we're living for. And that in the, at that point, we actually, we won't have that struggle that we have now between the internal and the external because those things will be reconciled. We won't even have the desire to sin, which will be nice. So that's the theological framing. And so the next question is, all right, so that's all very nice, but what are we talking about today? So the passage mentions, we have taught you, let me flick back to the passage. It says, we instruct you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are now living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord. We instructed you how to walk in a way that pleases God. And so that picture of walking is that it's a regular daily choice, and also it's step by step. The reality is this choice and this progress towards holiness is a gradual thing. And I don't know if you're anything like me, you might look at your life and think, wow, I've been following Jesus for a while, I thought I'd be a little bit more sorted. But, but I think if we're honest with ourselves, also when we sit down and we reflect and say, oh, actually, six months ago, I was like this, but now, or, or a year ago, I was struggling with this, but now, because these changes are small and progressive over time, they can be easy to miss. But actually, when we sit down and we reflect, we see that Jesus has made a huge difference in our lives. And so what might be our motivation for choosing to these holy things? What might be our motivation for, as he mentions here, avoiding sexual immorality or any other thing that we might do that gives up something? Well, I'm going to throw this one in just because it's something that I encounter a lot, and I, I found it in myself. But the first one is, we don't choose holiness because we're doing God a favor. I think sometimes we can feel like, oh, you know, Jesus, God needs me. I'm just doing him, a, just giving him a hand. Just, you know, I'll tell my friend about him because, you know, he needs my help. And, and then often what I encounter this a lot when it comes to us unanswered prayer or bad things happening, that I'll talk to someone. And the, the underlying sense is, I've given up all this stuff. I've been going to church every Sunday. I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying. I haven't done any naughty things. So therefore, God owes me. He should answer my prayer. He should give me what I want. He owes me. 
And I just want to knock that on the head. The reality is, God doesn't owe you anything. And if he gave you what you deserved, you wouldn't like it. So it's, 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 there. it's all very... The reality of these choices is that they're good for us, they're good for the world, and they're good for others. That is ultimately the reality behind choosing God's way, is that his way is best for us, it's best for the world, and it's best for those around us, even if in the short term it doesn't feel that way. We're not doing these things for his good. We're doing these things ultimately for our good and for the good of the world around us. There's a great verse that in um, Acts 17 that illustrates this. It says, um, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hand, as though he needs anything, since he himself gave all things to mankind, life, breath, and everything. Essentially, there's another passage um, in a psalm where it essentially says, if God needed anything, he wouldn't ask you. Um, and so, if God isn't served by us. When we choose holy lives, we're not doing it because we're doing him a favor. In fact, it's best for us, not necessarily best for him. The other question would be, uh, do we do it just because we're afraid? I think there's, there's a mention of punishment here in this passage, and that we often sometimes have an image of God as this angry judge and violent king who's kind of sitting on a throne, just look, waiting for us to do something wrong so that he can smite us, some kind of Greek god sending thunderbolts from above. And the reality is fear is a terrible motivation, right? Fear is a terrible motivation for doing what is right. Now, all it means, well, it's also, right, let me start again. Fear is a terrible motivation for doing right, but also fear is a terrible grounding for a relationship. And the Bible is clear that God wants a relationship with us. That God doesn't just, God doesn't want our obedience just for the sake of it. God wants a relationship with us. And so fear is not the best grounding for that. And actually, if you look at most of the passages where these things are talked about, what punishment and wrath and anger of God are primarily talked about in the context of those who don't know Jesus yet. And also, they are brought in to affirm and encourage Christians of the reality of the justice of God. So much like Thessalonians and the other passages, when Paul, when, God, when Paul writes about these things, he's reassuring them that there is justice. They're currently facing persecution and difficulty and hardship. And what, Jesus is, what Paul is saying is, hey, look, you're going through these really difficult things, but God will set things right. And one day, whilst it is in just now, it will be just in the future. It's not that God is an angry father who's waiting with a big stick to hit you every time you do something wrong. It's rather that there's a, he's a just God who will one day punish the wicked and um, reward um, those who put their faith in him. It's not that there's a big stick waiting for us, those of us who put our faith in him because our relationship has changed. Our relationship to God is as father, not as judge. 
And so the relationship is about, it's about love. And our motivation ultimately to follow these things, to pursue holiness, is a, is a relational one. So Paul says that you might live in order to please God. Now, let me try an illustration and let's see if it works. Okay, so some of you who know me will know that I'm not very good with dates or presents or, you know, generally being organized. And um, I'm married to Becky, um, which, who you met earlier, and she's the opposite. And um, one day, we were sitting in the living room, it was the morning, and my phone goes off, and it's my parents. So I put my phone, so I pick my phone up, and mum says, oh, could you put us on speakerphone? I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. So I put them on speakerphone, and my parents start singing happy birthday. And I was very much caught off guard, and I was like, what, wait, 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 what are you doing? And then they were like, it's Becky's birthday today. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, great, okay, let's, uh, let's go again, let's all sing together. Um, and uh, so, I mean, the, I'd forgotten her birthday. Um, and Becky, um, grew up in a family that didn't really do birthdays because of their religious convictions. And so birthdays are actually quite an important thing to her. And now the question is, this didn't go very well. Um, admittedly, she was very gracious with me. She had the right to have been much angrier, but she was very gracious and loving because she is. Um, now, going forward, the question is, why do I celebrate Becky's birthday? Okay? Do I choose to celebrate Becky's birthday because it's a rule in our household <laughs> that when it is Becky's birthday, it gets celebrated? And secondly, if you don't celebrate it, Becky gets angry. Is that the primary motivation? No. The motivation is, I love Becky. I want to have a good relationship with Becky. I want Becky to know that I love her. And so the motivation for those choices is a relational one. I don't want the, dis the relational distance between me and Becky. I want to maintain it, but I also want her to know that I love her and that, and that she loves me. It's not, one that's, it's not a motivation of legalism, and it's not a motivation of fear, but rather it's a motivation of, of love. And I think that for me, that was a huge reframing um, when I came to understand this and my life of devotion to Jesus. That actually, when it comes to reading the Bible, praying, coming to church, sharing my faith, um, and all the list of things that we um, could have in the scriptures of what living a holy life or godly life or, doing or living the Christian life could look like, it's, I'm not doing it because they're rules. I'm not doing it because I'm going to be punished. I'm doing it because I am now in a relationship with God. And I want to do the things that please him. I want to do the things that communicate to him that I love him. And also, in now in the relationship as father, I trust him. And that when I do these things, I communicate that I know, I believe that he knows best for me and what's best for my life. And that's what um, Paul goes on to say at the end of this passage. He says, Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, 
the very God who gives us the Holy Spirit. That actually, when we choose to go our own way, when we choose to say, we're going to do what we want, regardless of what we know um, God has asked of us, what we're actually doing is we're pushing him away and saying, look, I think I know better. I, I think, I don't actually think I can trust you. I think I can get what I need my way. I know for me that so often my choices to do the opposite is because I want to get what I want now and not what he promised later. And that I don't trust that what he's promised in the future is better than what I can get now by my own means. And so when we choose to, to go our own way, that's what we're saying. We're saying to God, I don't trust you. I don't think you have my best. And I think I can get what I want now rather than wait for what you've promised is future, in the future. And that's tough. And that's, where, and that's why the Bible talks about us, what these things are called, sin, um, that they create a relational distance between us. And that's why we need what the Bible calls atonement, or literally, if you break it down, at one moment. So what Jesus comes to do is to bring us back to God, to bring us back to the Father, to make us one with him again, to bridge that relational distance and to enable us to come back together. And okay, so some final practical application for this. So holiness, our motivation for holiness is relational. Okay, so what, how do we choose to live a holy life? Well, ultimately, the best way to do that is to grow in our knowledge of God and our relationship with him. I think so often we can dive into behavior management as our main focus for change. And the reality is, if you, put, if you put barriers in the way of doing the things that you know are wrong, and if you get help and you talk about it regularly, you may make some progress. However, you may get to the point where those things aren't around you anymore, and you slip up. But, and also what I found in those processes, when you get accountability and you get all these other things of the way, they're great, but you, what you end up doing is spending an awful lot of time focusing on what you shouldn't be doing, rather than focusing on God. And what I have found, and what I've seen more in, our, in the discipleship that I've done, is that actually, if you fix your eyes on Jesus, and become more focused on building your relationship with him, and less focused on these other things, then actually, that enables you better to pursue the life, holy life that God's called you to. And so, how do we grow in a deeper relationship with God? Now, the, the building blocks are the same for everyone, which are essentially, read your Bible, pray, talk to God, um, be a part of community, come to church on Sunday. Those are the basic building blocks for everyone. However, there are centuries of spiritual practices out there that are all kinds of different things. Whether they be painting, whether they be journaling, whether they be walking in nature, whether they be mazes, whether they, there are all kinds of things that are out there that you can try to see what helps you build an intimate relationship with God. 
And the real, I'm, I, I want to be really honest, okay? I find it hard to be emotionally intimate with people in my life. Which I find it even harder to be emotionally intimate with an invisible person, okay? It, it is harder work. But he's real and it's worth it. And so my encouragement would be, get the basics, but then try some other things. And the other thing is, just like any other relationship, it requires effort. The reality is, if you want to build a deeper relationship with anyone, it doesn't happen by accident. So if you want to build a deeper relationship with God, you're going to need to be intentional. And that means putting it in the diary, finding time, thinking about it, doing some research, It, it will require intentionality, it will require effort, and it will require perseverance. I remember one time where I was going through a difficult time and just feeling a bit distant from God. And I was still just doing the basics. And I was just chatting to God about it. And he spoke this word to my heart where he said, sometimes it has to become a discipline before it's a delight. That sometimes we have to keep persevering before it becomes enjoyable. And some of you might know that with the basic things like going to the gym or going for a walk or doing some exercise or something like that. That they, sometimes it starts off, it's really hard and it's not particularly fun. But after a couple of weeks, you're enjoying it. And in fact, you look forward to it and you miss it when it's not there. And it's the same with spiritual disciplines. That they can be a challenge at the beginning. But if you keep going, eventually they become a joy and you miss them when you don't do them. Well... That is more than enough for me. Um, but we're going to move in to a time now of response. And so I'm just going to invite the band up. And so this is a moment not just to sing some songs, but also to connect with Jesus and to ask him in this space as we sing um, a few songs, what he's saying to us. What is the response he's calling us to? What are some of the practical steps he might be inviting us into? So Jesus is here. He wants a deeper relationship with you. He wants to help you walk closer with him for your good and for the good of the world and those around you. So let's spend a moment just connecting with him, asking him, what is God saying to us and what are we going to do about it? We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.